Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You'd open up your Bibles and turn to Mark's Gospel to chapter 6. I want to personally thank Pastor Chet for giving me the gnarliest passage in the New Testament. <laughs> he said, hey, you know, I'm going to be away. Can you teach? And I, I want you to teach the, the passage about John the Baptist being beheaded. And I'm like, well, okay. That's, uh, you know. So in our passage today, we have a despotic ruler Uh, a nepotist. We have a totally dysfunctional family that kind of functions a whole lot like the mafia. Uh, We have two scheming, conniving ladies who are about as immoral as you can get. Multiple divorces, incest, a strip club, and the beheading of the third most righteous man on earth. But other than that, it's going to be great. Now, there's some truth in here that I think the Lord wants to speak to us. As always, his word is true. It contains not just truth, but itself is truth. And so as we open up, we'll begin in chapter 6 and verse 14, and we'll take down through uh, verse 29, and a study that I've entitled, John the Baptist's Last Day. Now, I don't know if you've thought about, I'm looking around the room, there are some of you that, you know, we, as you get older, you kind of think about weird things. It's like, oh, that might be my last car could be the last house, you know, this might be the last trip there, this could be the last of many, many, many things as you think through the final days of your life. We have a recounting now of the story of the very last day of John the Baptist's life. Now, it happened a year and a half earlier than what is recounted here in Mark's Gospel, But there are some truths here that are very, very, very important. And I I want to share them with you. Now, some of you are going to be challenged today. Some of you are going to, no doubt, maybe even be scared today. But I pray all of you will be encouraged with the truth that there is hope for the person who lives their life in faith. You know, our world is a mess, isn't it? And it doesn't appear to be getting a whole lot better anytime soon. And really, that's been the condition of the entire church age. From the first century to this century, the the world has been progressing in evil. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. Now, we can say there are good things happening. Certainly, medical advances have extended our lives. But the fact of the matter is, the world still desperately needs Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you now and we deposit our hearts at the throne of grace and we pray that you'd speak to us. Lord, help each one of us to hear what is good and necessary for the edification of the body, that our lives would be transformed by the hearing of your word, that you, God, would speak to each of us, Lord, where we have need. And Lord, I want to pray specifically if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that they've been dabbling in things that they shouldn't. Lord, their lives have perhaps been somewhere where they should not be. That you, by the power of your spirit, would convict and convince of the truth 
that underlies this passage, and that is sin always bears consequences. And so God, speak to us, we pray, as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now King Herod heard of him. Now this is an interesting passage because it begins by referencing what has just happened here in Mark's gospel. And so Jesus has sent out the 12 disciples. He's called them to himself, sends them out two by two. And remember, he was actually kind of kicked out of his own hometown in Nazareth. So the reference here is in the current. It's like, Jesus, who is he? Who is this man? Now King Herod had heard of him, that him being Jesus, for his name had become well known. Now here's King Herod's response. This is the taunt and this is the haunt of a conscience that is filled with the consequences of sin, the guilt and the shame that comes with it. And so listen well to a haunted man. He said, John the Baptist risen from the dead. And therefore these powers are at work in him. So what's he referring to? He's referring to the miracles of Jesus. He's seeing Jesus do these things, but he's had an encounter with the power of God one and a half years earlier. He's seen God at work before Jesus ever got there. And others said it's Elijah. And others said it is the prophet. Or like one of the prophets, the Jewish people, from their perspective, had been looking for the prophet who would be like Moses but greater, one that would be greater than Elijah. And so in their looking, they were looking for the Messiah. They had already seen John the Baptist, about whom the prophet Isaiah said he would be the one who would come, preparing the way of the Lord. You see, it doesn't do you a bit of good to know about Jesus without knowing Jesus. There are a lot of people who know about Jesus. They've heard about him. But they do not know him as Savior and Lord. There are a lot of religious people who are looking for prophets. They're looking for wonderful things to be done in a religious way. They go into cathedrals every day looking for some experience. But they have not yet met the King, the Savior, Jesus. But when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded. He's been raised from the dead. You see the haunted conscience? I killed this guy. And he's back. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias. His brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. This is where it starts to get a little bit slippery, a little bit slimy, a little bit ugly. 
Matter of fact, not a little ugly, it gets a lot ugly. Because John had said to Herod, here's the boldness of faith. We, we live in a world where we're now being questioned which pronouns we should use when addressing people. They themselves want to be identified as a man when they're a woman or vice versa or something in between. And we're being asked, well, you know, you can't use an improper pronoun. Well, how about we just use your name? But no, that's not good enough. In faith, are you going to be bold enough to say, you know, I believe that God created you as he created you. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 declare pretty plainly that in the beginning he created them male and female. You see, your faith is going to be tested too. Are you going to be bold? John the Baptist had confronted sin openly. He said, no, this, this is not the way this rolls. This may be what you want. It may even be legal because you're actually the governor. You're the tetrarch. You can make your own rules. But it's still not okay with God. Church, are you going to be standing when the world goes the direction that's not okay with God? Are you going to dare to be Daniel in this world? When others bow, will you stand? That's who John the Baptist was. And it cost him his life. Notice what he said. Because John had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Well, it's not only not lawful, it was incestuous. It wasn't just that he divorced his own wife and married another. It's literally related to her. And therefore Herodias held it against him. You know, sin loves sin. Evil loves evil. People get together and they come up with all kinds of reasonings whereby they think they're right and they think that the loud voice can override the voice of God. And they're wrong. Because what God says is true. And whether we make laws to pass things off as though we now have arrived, it's not changing God's opinion. A man is still a man and a woman is still a woman. Amen? Amen? Divorce is still not okay with God. Doesn't mean he can't heal it. Doesn't mean he can't forgive it. But it's still not his plan for anybody's marriage. No matter how loudly and proudly we shout, well, we live in a state where we have no fault divorce. It's nobody's fault. Yes, it is. It's the fault of your sin. Are we going to stand in these days? She wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and a holy man, and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. In other words, 
John the Baptist had almost become entertainment to Herod. It was like, this guy's awesome. I want to have him at every party because he does these great things. You know, the world mocks us, but they still recognize that the church does great things. They still see what's going on in your life. People know that you are different than they. The world should fear the wrath of God, but the world doesn't. And it looks at the church and goes, well, you know those Christians, they're kind of taking care of that part. I just want to live my life the way I want to live it. That was this family. That was what was going on in this time. And then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles. Now that word feast, translated in New King James, is actually better translated party. Oh, it was a feast, all right. They threw out all the stops, brought out all the best things, the best booze, the best food. Oh, there were snacks galore. Gave a party for his nobles, his high officers, the chief men of Galilee. Basically, anyone who was everyone was at this party. You had to have a wristband. You had to have an invite. It's kind of like that new movie. I don't know why I'm bringing this up right now, but it just popped into my head. The one where the guys invade LeBron James's home. You've probably seen that, right? It's like, we're in LeBron James. Let's throw a party. Well, it's Bron Bron's house. It ain't your house. Well, that's kind of what Herod's doing here. I'm going to toss the big one. People are going to remember this one. And I'm going to invite anyone who's everyone. And when Herodias' daughter, now here's the perversion of all of this. It's not bad enough that mom is trying to have her way politically by using her body as a tool for Herod, brings her daughter into the mix. This is the legacy of sin. The legacy of sin is pervasive. It's far-reaching. And no believer should want to be caught in it. Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced. And it pleased Herod. Interesting word, word translated pleased. It actually is better translated aroused. She, she was not doing a ballet or a waltz, folks. It was erotic. It was sexually provocative. It was with intent to inflame the passions of the men that were there. And those who sat around him and the king said to the girl, and here's what happens when you put yourself in compromise. When you put yourself where you should not be, when you say, ah, it doesn't really matter, you know, it's just a party. I'm going to go and have a Coke. 
And all of a sudden, that Coke isn't all Coke. And then the Coke turns into another kind of Coke. And then that Coke turns into a trip to a bedroom. And that trip to a bedroom ends up in compromise that haunts you the rest of your days. Now, maybe we're getting a little real up in here, but let's tell it like it is. The enemy loves for you to show up at those parties. Because he may not yet have his hooks in you, but that's a great place for him to have another shot at it. Maybe it stings a little bit right now for somebody. Ask me whatever you want. I am so burning with lust right now, whatever it is, you can have it. Little JG nearly inspired version there. But it's the truth behind what it actually says. And so she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? You see how sin works? Oh, it begins as a little thing. And one compromise and a vow made. Oh, you're sitting there in that party and you never intended to say what you said. But you got yourself into a situation to where the alcohol is inflamed and the passion is going. Well, you know, my marriage kind of isn't going the way I thought it would go. Maybe this will spice it up a little bit. You know, my husband isn't meeting my needs or my wife isn't meeting my needs. Maybe just you and me, babe. And then you think about it for a second. No, 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 it's too late. The horse left the barn. The train is out of the station. The bus is rolling down the road. You've made commitments to where now you are going to have to go back on your word at least somewhere. Notice how compromise works. What shall I ask? Now remember, Herod is protecting John the Baptist. But this is the danger of compromise. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And immediately she came with haste to the king and said, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king, remorseful, can't believe I said what I said, but it's too late. The train left the station. He was exceedingly sorry, and yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, because of peer pressure, because of appearance, because of the place that he placed himself in, he did not want to refuse her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to his, her mother. 
When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. I told you it was an ugly passage. It's an ugly passage. But how often has this passage been repeated in the life of believers? People who claim to know the Lord. But they put themselves in a situation to where they, just like Herod, are in a place of compromise. Making oaths, making vows, making a spectacle of oneself, dropping one's morals, descending into the pit, going somewhere they should never have gone because they compromised in some little area of their life. Oh, it's just one toke. It's just one drink. It's just one glance in lust. It's just one website. It's just a little bit of cash out of that wallet. It's just a little extra speed as you're going down the freeway. Some area of compromise to where that compromise leads to further compromise, which leads to you denying that you even knew him, just as Peter did. Remember, Peter did this very thing. Peter compromised. He walked where he should not walk. He stood where he should not stand. And eventually he sat in the seat of the scornful. Don't miss the truth that underlies all of this. Compromise will lead you to paths of unrighteousness. What are you going to be remembered for when you're gone? You see, the righteous one in this is going to lose his life. But just as Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. John may have lost his life, literally, but he gained eternity. Herod gained everything that he thought he wanted and lost everything. That's the choice we all face. And we face it every day. Little decisions that can lead to a lifetime of either wonderful service to the king or desperate destruction through compromise. Some background in the story, the Jewish, Jewish historian Josephus actually writes in book 18 of the Antiquities of the Jews, this very story gives us the name that most of us know. Her name is Salome, the daughter of Herodias, and gives us some details about what this actually was, and it was exactly what I portrayed to you, a party of the utmost magnitude in debauchery. Now you may be thinking, well, Herod wasn't saved. No, he wasn't. Herodias wasn't. No, she wasn't. This is kind of a picture of people without the Lord, and that is true. But it's also a warning to us who know the Lord. It's for us to understand that we can put ourselves in the same types of situations when we are not paying attention to the details of life. 
John was in prison because of his faith. It's that simple. He had stood for the truth. He was unashamed, boldly proclaiming the truth. When you're unashamed and you boldly proclaim the truth, it will always cost you something. I can tell you emphatically, it will cost you friends. It will be necessary that it cost you friends. It will likely cost you some family members. Again, may be necessary. There'll always be family. But your fellowship with them is going to change. When you announce proudly, I serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they're interesting in serving the gods of this age, you are going two different directions. And there's no reconciliation for those two different directions. There are opposite ends of the spectrum. One is serving the flesh and one is serving the king. And you can't bring them together. It's impossible. That's why scripture reminds us, Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, we are not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. We're actually not to have anything to do with the unfruitful works of darkness. We're supposed to be so different that we're actually offensive to the world. You're supposed to be offensive. Now, I pray that you're offensive in the right way, because some people are just obnoxious, okay? That's not what the Bible says. You're not jerks for Jesus, okay? But you are supposed to be offensive when it comes to righteousness. Your righteous living should be offensive to people who are living unrighteously. They should look at how you live and go, I don't want to be anywhere near you because you steal all my fun. Everything I like to do, you don't do. And you have a reason for not doing it. So the background here is much like the background of the world that you and I live in. Why is that important to us? Because this is where it becomes real for you and I. This is your situation in this world that we live in. You're going to have a choice where you go and what you do, with whom you associate. And it's not going to be easy. There's some windows into the ways of the world here. Herod's very attitude is the attitude of the world. I want what I want. I want to please me. That's why when we hear statements like, this is my body, let me say something and let me say it loudly. No, it's not. Your body was created by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for his glory. It does not belong to you. It was bought and paid with the price. The king owns it. It's not yours. You don't get to do with it as you please. It is also not your money. It's the king's money. He gave it to you in stewardship. It still belongs to him. Not your lips, they're his. They're supposed to speak things that are holy and righteous and true. 
It is not your mind. It is his that's been renewed by Christ. Amen? So it's supposed to be used for his glory. You see, so when the world starts saying these things, you have the exact opposite understanding. The world is saying, do whatever you want that pleases you. Truth is relevant to how you view it. No, it's not. There is truth. It's right here. Amen? This is truth. This is not good suggestions. It's truth. This is not kind of, sort of, if you think about it and you'd like to go that way, then okay. You know, but however you feel. We've gotten to such a place to where everything is how you feel about it. No, it's not. It's how does God feel about it? What does he think about what you think? And so in all of this, because of your righteous living, because of the way we live our lives, Herod is haunted by the ghost of John the Baptist. Because inside of every human being, there is a smidgen of the truth of how God has made us. It's that internal law that exists in every human being. It's why if you look at the laws of virtually every country on earth, it contains the basic same things. You can't steal. You can't murder. Hmm, I wonder who wrote that. God did on every human heart. That to take someone else's family and destroy it is absolutely wrong. Ooh, that's called adultery, which leads to divorce, doesn't it? Who authored that? God. So Herod was standing against God. John was standing for God. Notice how Herod is actually sorry now. But he's not sorry enough to repent. Let me warn you strongly. It does you no good to be sorrowful if the sorrow does not lead you to repentance. Amen? Because if if you don't get to the place to where, God, I'm so sorry that I want to turn my life the other direction, then you're just like Herod. Herod was sorry primarily because it made his life a living hell. His wife's mad at him. He can't have his stepdaughter for sexual pleasure. So he's like going around. It's like, my life is messed up. I can't have the things I want. That's not repentance. Repentance is, God, you were right. I'm wrong. I'm going your direction. I promise we're going to close this in a way that's edifying and lifting you up, okay? (laughs) What we have is the assassination of a righteous man. When you read this story, Herod's guilt and Herod's crime and Herodias' crime and Salome's crime and the crime of those that are sitting with them in this party They're sitting there rejoicing. Can you imagine sitting there and all of a sudden here comes a servant 
with John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, they'd been listening to the conversation. They had seen the dance of Salome. They're all like, yeah, she's hot, man. Woo! They're banging their cups on the table. We want more, more, more. And she's willing to give it. But the result of that is that head on a platter. Now maybe your stomach is churning a little bit. It should be. Because the devil never tells you that your sin is going to put your head on a platter. Doesn't tell you that part. He goes, oh, this is going to be awesome. Just shout more, more, more. More sex, more drugs, more alcohol, more of you. Give me what I want. And the whole time you're lining up to put your head on the chopping block. You see, in this case, it was John's. But the truth is, sin, though pleasurable for a season, the end of it is your head on a platter. Again, J.G., nearly inspired version. The end of it is death. Satan doesn't tell you that part. Just divorce your spouse because you can find somebody that you really deserve. Well, just cheat on that entrance exam because that's how everybody gets ahead. Lie about your taxes because the government already has too much money. You see, the enemy never tells you about the head on the platter thing. It's like, do this and you're going to feel great. Well, the truth is, Herod didn't feel great. Herod is racked with shame and with guilt, and he's been living with it now for a year and a half. And there's no end to it because he knows what he did. He killed an innocent man who was righteous. All for a few minutes' pleasure. How many families have been killed for the same reason? Destroyed, ripped apart for a few minutes' pleasure. Think about it. Because it's not as far-fetched as some of you might think. And it happens quicker than some of you might think. And it is far more spontaneous based on a single action at the beginning than some of you might think. Don't miss the inference here. When you are playing with sin, you are playing with death. When you are dabbling in sin, you are dabbling with death. The final minutes of John's life are not actually given to us in Scripture, but they're given to us again by the Jewish historian Josephus. John had been held in a prison called Machaerus. 
It's actually in modern-day Jordan. Matter of fact, if you were with us when we were in Israel, we were staying about three miles from that particular castle. And in it is a place called the Well of Souls. It was actually the sewage system for the castles, about 80 feet deep, a giant pit. That's where John was being held, where the effluent of the entire castle ended up. Now, one would think God might protect his people from being in such a circumstance, but such is the faith of John the Baptist. Because the truth of the matter is that none of us escape the things that the world wants to do entirely. Wonderful people, beautiful people, saintly people suffer horrific things here on this earth. That is the fact of humanity. And that is the truth of a real relationship with Jesus. God doesn't save us from everything, but he saves us out of everything. He may not keep you from pain, but he will keep you in the pain. He will bring you out of the pain and into his marvelous light and into glory one day. But you may experience pain. And it may be of the worst kind. And imagine John sitting there in the depths of that prison pondering his last moments. And he hears the key and the lock and the turning of the cell door and the door opens. And there stands very obviously an executioner. You might wonder what John was thinking in those last moments. Why me? Why now? Wasn't I busy about my father's business? Hadn't I forsaken everything to follow him? Didn't I do all that was asked of me? In fact, did not Jesus himself say about John, you can find this in Luke 7, that of all of the men on planet earth during that time, there was none more righteous than John. That's who's standing in the sewage. That's whose neck was stretched. That's whose head was on the platter. So when you come to that place to where you get the diagnosis, it's cancer. And there's little we can do. You may have the same questions. But now the good part. John's life was a testimony of the faith that he had placed in Jesus Christ. And while I'm sure he did not relish what was about to happen, I'm also sure that he knew exactly where he was going when it did. His confidence was not in his own ability, but in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. His home was not this earth. His home was heaven. 
He was a sojourner. He was on his way to his heavenly home. And maybe for some of you today, I know that I personally have my lapses of faith. I know I have my moments of doubt. My moments of wondering, Lord, did I miss something? Did somehow you speak and did I not hear the master's voice? I have those thoughts. They're not abnormal. They're quite normal. I literally don't know a pastor who doesn't have those thoughts. One of those common questions I'll ask, so, you know, are you dealing with any issues of faith lately when I get together with my brothers in the Lord? Maybe you have a major one. Maybe you have a minor one, something in the middle. Maybe you're looking at the world or the world of politics and you're thinking to yourself, how can this possibly ever be resolved? Well, the answer is it may not ever be resolved. may shock some of you, the United States of America is not the answer to the world's problems. King Jesus is the answer to the world's problems. Our economy may go in the tank. I, I hope and pray it doesn't. Not something I wish for. But it may. But our economy can't save the world. We could solve every problem that the world has, but if you don't solve the one problem that everyone has, and that is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then you have no hope. If you're looking to you or this world or anyone in it to solve that problem, you will never solve it. It can be solved one way and one way only. And his name is Jesus. That's why he declared that truth in John 14, 6. He is the way. John knew that. And so as John was sitting there in prison, his mountain was a faith mountain. That's what needed to be moved. And I believe Jesus moved it for him. And I know when John lost his head, Jesus is not yet given his life a ransom for sin. He's not yet died and been resurrected. So John the Baptist is one of those rare creatures that we find in the gospel narrative that dies, goes to Abraham's bosom, and then when Jesus is nailed to Calvary's cross and spends those three days setting captives free, John's down there, what took you so long? Forever in the presence of the Lord is where he is today. Whatever the pain was of that prison is now the peace of the kingdom. Your faith is going to be tested. Matter of fact, the Bible actually declares there in James 1, it's a good thing. You're actually supposed to count it all joy. Now, be careful how you interpret that passage. 
Counting it all joy and it being a happy moment are two very different things. It is the value that you assign it in your spiritual life that counts it as joy. It is how do you account for that which is going on in your life? Because cancer is not fun. Financial problems are agonizing. Prodigal children grieve your soul to the point that it's unbearable at times. But the good news is the testing of your faith produces patience. Patient waiting for that which is promised. I know that in whom I have believed and that he is able to keep that which he has committed unto the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? That what God has promised, God will see through. That was John's hope. And that is our hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what putrid prison that you exist in right now, one day that will be exchanged for the glory of the heavenly kingdom. And the things that you went through on this earth will seem as though they never happened. He will make all things fully new in that day. We look forward to moving from glory to glory. And so maybe you are facing something that might cost you your life. Well, in Christ Jesus, that which cost you your life causes you to gain one that you cannot purchase. And that life is eternal. It's without pain. It's without suffering. It's without work. Think about that one for a second. Those of you that are agonizing right now, if I have to go back to my workplace tomorrow, one more time, that's the end. (laughs) Piece of theologic information for you. There are no time clocks in heaven. No taxes in heaven. No politics in heaven. It's one king. That's why we look forward to our heavenly home. For we Christians, we literally go from hell to heaven. This is as bad as it gets. What you're experiencing right now is the worst it will ever be. In some variation. But what you look forward to is the presence of the Lord wherein there is fullness of joy forevermore. Amen? That's the opposite of what Herod was facing. Herod got all he was going to get. He extracted what he could get out of this life in that moment. And that was the very best. And then he lost his life. Now for me, it's not a tough decision to decide which of those two scenarios I want. I will take heaven. Thank you. And because of King Jesus' blood on Calvary's cross, 
that is a surety. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to be with him is to experience his joy, his peace, and his presence. And it is to be freed of the things of this life which bind us. And so if you can learn a lesson, never compromise. Never cave into evil. Always stand boldly for the Lord. And look forward to your heavenly home. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. After service, you've got something that's heavy on your heart. Prayer teams in the prayer room, just simply go there and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I've got that going on. Maybe today you need to know King Jesus. He is a prayer away. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that he is God's own son and he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Just ask him. Say, I, I believe, Lord, forgive my sin. For the rest of us, this is as bad as it gets. Lots to look forward to. So let's make sure we keep our eyes focused on heaven. Father, thank you. We bless your name. And Lord, we admit and we just cry out to you. There are things going on in our lives that cause us to have momentary lapses of faith. Lord, increase our faith. We, we need to rest and trust and believe in these last days. And so use this time in our lives to grow us, to mold us and shape us into the image of you, Jesus. Help us to get home to heaven in good shape, filled with the Spirit and ready for the things that you'll do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.